We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. To the Heat Beat Podcast. I'm your host, Carlo Navas. And with me today, to my right, we have Mr. Drip Drop himself, Alex Musubai. Drip Drop. Alex. Man, I am very excited for today's show. Been waiting to talk to, the, to our special guest for a while now. Alex has been, so I don't, so it kind of puts you behind the scenes at Miami Heat Beat. I don't like to guest book because I just have like this eternal guilt of asking people for favors. So Alex or Tiff or Siobhan or Alf or anybody's like, hey, G, can we get this guest on Heapy? And I'm like, yeah, for sure. And I just never ask because I'm scared of asking. And Moose took it upon himself. He Moose did the guest booking thing. We need a professional guest booker. And Moose hit up the great Mirren Fader from The Ringer to come on our show to talk basketball, NBA finals, her book. Miran, welcome to the program. I've said this before, you know, you and Rohan have really taken the torch for Lee Jenkins as like the people doing yes. big, long form stories. You guys are absolutely incredible. Uh, you know, way to kill it in our industry. Like, it's just, I'm so excited to have you on. Welcome. Oh my God, that's so nice. Thank you both. I'm just, I'm so happy we could make this work and, you know, finally do this. Yeah, I'm so we honored. some scheduling things, but we, we're here, we made it, and we're here to talk. We have the NBA Finals, uh, Looming Phoenix versus Milwaukee. We have plenty to talk about there. We have some heat news at the top. Now, Alex, we, you know, our group chat was uh, filled today. I'm very upset about this. You're very upset. I'm so very upset about this. Bam was asked, was it <laughs> Alex, was it by Ira? Who asked the question? It sounds like an Ira Winderman thing to ask. I don't care. No offense to the media. Let's just, <laughs> exactly. Melody's with Yeah, you're me. do- yeah, let's Melody's. Get, let's get to the clip because he Twitter's going crazy right now for no reason. He Twitter's really I don't I don't even want to say that they're upset at Bam, but but Bam was asked about Tyler Hero because Tyler's on the select team so which Eric Spolstra is coaching the select team for Team USA and they were kind of just asking Bam about Tyler and and kind of the work ethic stuff so here here's the clip of of what Tyler said uh they'll get the chance to go against the best in the USA so I feel like that's one of the biggest things that he can get and obviously getting to watch like people work at the, and how they how they go about their professional business so i think people took that last part Mirren, about like see how people's work like because there have been some kind of murmurs about tyler's work ethic and stuff which i feel is just generally unfair and you've covered him you've talked to him extensively you wrote a big piece on him while he was in kentucky about kind of how he came up and kind of everything surrounding him I don't know. I I don't think Bam meant it that way. And I, I think anybody who's been around Tyler knows that that dude works hard. Yeah. Also, I thought that Bam was like extremely professional and just saying like he will get to observe good habits. I, I don't I mean, I was not online all day. I was, you know, busy. But like I I can't believe that people took that and made it like 
a shot to Tyler's work ethic. He was just, it sounded like an innocent comment. Anyways, who knows? I'm not in these guys' heads. Um, Tyler works really, really hard. Like that was one of the biggest things that I got from doing my profile on him was that a lot of people love to project, you know, whatever things onto him because they don't like his demeanor and they don't like how, you know, boastful he is and they don't like his attitude. But he actually, he works really, really hard. And you know that because he was not a top prospect. The fact that he's in the NBA at all, I mean, was not supposed to happen. Um, he literally transformed himself into an NBA prospect, um, very high on draft boards from insane work ethics. So I don't, you know, I don't know where that comes from. You're, in your piece on Tyler, you actually talk about a lot of the hate that he was getting from his own hometown because of his decision to go to Kentucky. Yeah. And I feel like a lot of that has actually carried over, maybe not into his rookie year because he was getting a lot of, a lot of praise his rookie year. But this year in particular, I feel like there is a segment of Heat fans that have just quickly turned on him. Granted, his performance this year was up and down. But can you talk a little bit about like how he continues to prevail through all the outside noise and just kind of sticks his head down and continues to work? I mean, I think that's all he knows how to do. I think, um, like you said, it probably has to do with like inconsistency. And also, I think people are just not a fan of, you know, how he acts off the court. And so that might be influencing. But as far as on the court, like he definitely it doesn't matter what people say about him. He's very sure of himself. And I don't obviously we know he's confident, but I don't, I don't mean like that. I just mean like there is like a bulletproof kind of confidence that's deeper than bravado, deeper than on-court arrogance. It's it's just a place in his core that he knows that he belongs and he knows that he can be really, really good. Um, and I and I know it sounds cliche, oh, he doesn't care what people think. A lot of players say that, but I, I genuinely think he does not care what people think. It's funny, Miriam, because like he's so polarizing here. And I think that there's a lot to that, right? Like I think some fans look at him as, missed opportunities in terms of like oh they could have traded him for this player or this player right because he is really their most valuable asset miami's in draft pick purgatory they owe oklahoma city the pick with the protections and nobody you can't really trade it because it can't get conveyed and and, and sam presti's being really difficult about ruling protections on that which has been really well documented so in reality you know precious achua did not have the best rookie season so miami's really thin on tradable assets while keeping their core together. Duncan is now a restricted free agent, so there's some sign-and-trade stuff, but that becomes more complicated. So Tyler is really their golden ticket to getting something, like getting a rotation player that can make a difference for them, right? And you have the Dragic salary, and you have the Iguodala salary, if you want to. Up the, so, like, I think fans look at him as, like, well, he's not playing well, and 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 he's been linked in Harden talks and Lowry talks and all this stuff, and I think he gets unfairly kind of whacked with that, right? And, and I don't think Moose, I think, you know, we've, we've been pretty hard on him on this show, too. I mean, stuff's documented. Can't get separation. You know, if he's not getting to that little elbow pull-up, life's difficult. Good finisher. Can't really get to the rim. Doesn't get free throws. Undersized. Alligator arms. Blah, blah, blah. But, but Mirren, it's like, it, it's, he's so, the people that love him, like Moose, right, are out here, like, defending him like hell. And he's, you know, I kind of think that that's kind of been his life, right? And going back to Wisconsin, I was just in Madison. And they still hate his ass. Like, they still <laughs> don't like him. I wore a heat shirt, and I was in line somewhere. I was at a bar, and the guy's like, oh, man, Tyler, can't stand that guy. I root against him all the time. It drove me crazy when they – I was so happy when they when the Bucks. And I was like, but what? <laughs> Jesus Christ. And, like, that's, that's the space he lives understand. in. I, I don't you think it'll always be like that. I mean, he's not going to completely change and become a different person and not – have the kind of swagger that he has. He's always going to be hated because he presents himself as he does. Um, that's just what it is. And he just does not look like your typical, like you would never think like he would go to the NBA. So he's always going to have that. But the hate is just so awful. Like um, one of the anecdotes from the story is that this guy came up to him at a gas station and like threatened him. I mean, it's really out of control. He was a baby. He was like an actual kid. And like, you know, he's a really nice person. Like from what I, from what I know from talking to him, I, it's just, yeah. I think a lot of people, I mean, the same reasons that we're hating on Tyler this year are the, are the reasons that you loved him last year. 
that drip, that bravado, uh-huh. seeing him hit those, right. those insane clutch threes that who, what rookie would take a step back three in overtime right. against Philly to win it? But that's what Tyler right. would do. And now this past year, because, you know, for whatever reason, he was having ups and downs and all that. Now we're looking at reasons to turn that around against him, you know, which I'm always saying, for better or worse, he's not a finished product yet. So why are we so quick to judge what he can be or what he is? Moose really hijacked this into a defensive Tyler. I just, just I just realized I'm starting to see why we had Miran on and everything. This is just an elaborate ruse. I'm I'm on to you. Mirren, we, he knew I'd be the only one who had his back. Mirren, so we've been killing Tyler all year. Elm, it's like this guy. I was the only guy in banging table on draft night for Tyler Hero. And I looked like a genius my rookie year, but now everyone's against us. Mirren, I would like to I would like to read to the audience maybe my favorite quote that I've read in an in an article this year. It is from uh it is from Coach Calipari. This is just one sentence. He was one of the worst defenders we had, Kalapari says. That <laughs> stayed true. Stay strong, Mirren. Stay strong. <laughs> I'm glad to listen. Uh, I, I believe it goes. People never really change, and uh, I love you, Tyler. But oh my god, that Mirren, I literally like laugh. I was, I sent that to the group chat. I go, this, I, I'm dying. This is so funny. Oh my god, yeah. How do you think about me? I had to be like, oh yeah, okay. Tell me more, you know? And <laughs> yeah, what's your follow-up to that? <laughs> um, can you think of a rotation he missed in passes? Just your all-time dud? I mean... <laughs> okay, hear me out. And again, Moose, I think you will agree with me now that I know where you stand. I think that, you know, it takes time to develop. I don't know a whole lot of rookies that come into the NBA great at defense. Look at LaMelo Ball. Like, I think that defense is just not something preached these days, and it takes time. I think Tyler could be a really good defender. I, again, like, he's really young, and who knows, you know? People can change. Um, it's just the NBA is a very, like, right now league, and there's so many talented, talented, talented young people. Um, so, yeah, it's It's hard. <laughs> It's and I think offenses are so sophisticated and complicated now. Uh, I know Moose's dog agrees with with that defensive Tyler. Um, you, you've trained she's, her well. She's all about Tyler. She's she all, knows yes. when, when we need to defend Tyler. She's all about the drift drop. So before <laughs> I, I want to get into Mirren's book, uh, we have a lot to talk about and kind of at the NBA Files. Moose, I know you you wanted to get into um, one of Mirren's other stories that she kind of just referenced it a little bit. Well, she just referenced it, so I'm glad we can transition to it. Mirren, my absolute favorite piece you've ever written was the Lamelo Ball story. Um, it completely made me change my perspective on LaMelo. Um, wow. I just, I want to ask you, when did you decide you wanted to write about him? What was it like actually traveling to, I believe it was Lithuania, correct? And spending time yeah. with him. Can you kind of just put for the people that haven't read it and I will tweet it out later because everyone should, but if you can kind of just put us right back in that scenario where you were and the whole discussion with him, because I think it was really, really eye opening. And like I said, it made me change my entire perspective of a 15-year-old kid. Oh, wow. Well, thank you for saying that. It really means a lot. Um, that was like the hardest story ever. <laughs> um, so to, so to, put, uh, to put it back into perspective, LaMelo Ball was this like 15-year-old kid. His dad, LeVar, pulled him out of high school and was like, you're turning pro. So this is big controversy. Everyone was like, oh my God, this kid is so spoiled. He has this total rep of being this like spoiled, arrogant, rich kid that has the red carpet laid out for him. And mind you, like LaMelo did nothing to warrant that. It's just, he was part of this really famous family. And so that was the rep on him. And so um, I was freelancing at the time for Bleacher Report and um, I had just been a staffer at the Orange County Register, a newspaper. And I was like really looking for the next thing. And, and Bleacher was like, um, LaMelo's going to Australia. Like, do you want to go? And of course I'm like, oh my God, where's my plane ticket? I'm going tomorrow, you know? <laughs> um, but okay, I didn't know anything, you know? So at the time we all thought like, okay, this is going to be a really fun story. It's going to be like, you know, 15 year old kid takes Europe. But none of us knew that we were going to the middle of nowhere in this like very desolate farm town. Um, very few people speak English. It's this tiny, dumpy, I mean, gym was like a high school gym. And essentially the dad rearranges this league 
and has him play against inferior opponents so he looks better but really the story turned into a story about a boy trapped in this super weird situation he's actually not arrogant at all whatsoever he's actually a really good kid that is trapped in this weird situation and i had to like see it all and present what was really happening to people back home because if you remember i don't know if you guys saw all the games on Facebook Live. And so it just looked like, yep. oh my God, LaMelo has 45 points. But it was also against like bad, bad competition. Scrubs, you know? yeah. <laughs> terrible, terrible. So, but it actually, you know, the story ended up working out because it ended up being a story about, you know, what it's like to be young and internet famous and having pressure and dealing with you know, a reality show filming your every move. Um, I think sympathy because they did not know how hard his life was and how much poise he had. So yeah, it was such a crazy experience. Yeah, you did a great job taking us behind the, the like the reality TV persona that that I I felt that I had in my mind about him. You know, I mean, it was obvious the basketball talent that he had, but I think everyone was wondering who is this kid off the court like who is he really right. um and right. you just like, i think you did a great job breaking it down it was the reason why i had lamello number one on my draft board g i will go down you were right saying that to this day you were right because there was no <laughs> question on his talent it was just does he want to play and i mean right. that you humanized him perfectly in that in that piece i get sad because when he I, really does want to play I get sad when yeah. I read things Sorry, like that. Ahead. No, it's just, it's like, you know, a lot of times like children and like adults, I don't want to say like his adults failed him, but like you, you get put in these positions mm -hmm. where, um, you know, institution and everybody's really against you. And I, I think that LaMelo plays with so much joy and it's, it's obvious. Like you watch mm -hmm. the Hornets play, like they were the league past darlings of the league. And it's like, he is this engine of joy and fun and like effervescence and uh to like you know read your story and it, it made me sad it's like it, it's it sucks that that kids are often put in these positions and sometimes that is the price you pay for for your talent or whatever but it, it's just sad it's 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 tough yeah i mean that's why i think he's performing so well now because basketball was like the one sphere where he didn't have to like perform i know it sounds kind of weird no, but what i mean by that is it's not yeah it's not an act that's his most genuine self and so he doesn't have to be someone he's not, which he does when he has to film the TV, you know, the reality TV. But like basketball, it's like so pure and so genuine. And even though he didn't choose to be in this life, right? Like he was expected to go to the NBA since he was an actual child. Yeah. He grew love it. He grew to thrive being in that type of pressure. And I think that like if any three of us were put in that situation, like I have no idea how we would react, but he handled it with such grace and class. It's, you know, he was nothing like everyone said he would be. Totally. I, and it helped him hit the ground running when he hit the NBA. I, I can't, I couldn't agree with that more. I love the way you said it. Like, yeah. and I, we've talked about this, like, just like as friends, like here on, he'd be like, the idea of like performing, like we perform characters, right? Like, you know, I, I think we're pretty, I think we're ourselves most of the time. But like when we're doing Hangover Time, our post game show, like, you know, we, we play it up and, and you know, take you behind the curtain. Like it's, you know, we are performing, yeah. right? Like content is like this. And and I uh, the first time I was introduced to the term was reading uh, Judith Butler and like gender performativity and the idea of like, you know, J Butler like says, like, you know, we wear gender like drag. We can we perform it, that it is a series of repetitions and all this stuff. And and now, it, you know, I've seen it used academically and now even like on social media, like, you know, performative allyship or, or stuff like that. And I, you know, like this idea of, you know, and I think part of this is is kind of the Internet boom and kind of, you know, 24-7 news cycle. And it's like it's all and, and especially like these young men and, and women who are playing sports, it's like they're always they're in this cycle of all these kinds of of all this performativity of everything. And I, I can't imagine how they're not burnt out like. LeBron and Serena and Federer, like these are success stories that they're damn near 40, right? And they seem whole and complete and adjusted. And I'm like, how do you like I, you know, I always think of esports athletes that they just get burned out at like 25, right? Like all the time. It's common. Like guys who play Dota and StarCraft and all that crap, like they're they're done. And I don't know. I thought I think it's really there's a lot in in kind of the psyche of the people that we cover that make the sports that we love so joyous and, and wonderful. Um I want to transition to the book, Marin. So 
Uh, I don't want to do a talk about the book, right? Because it's a book about Giannis. It's a book about how this force of nature kind of became who he is. The most dominant, one of the most dominant players we've seen. I mean, I saw somebody on Twitter say that if, if Giannis wins a ring, his like resume is like low key better than Kawhi's. And I was like, no. And then I thought about it. I'm going, you know, two time MVP, defensive actually player. Not the, bad. Like <laughs> actually, like actually, like there is some right. And you really go through his upbringing from you know a, a politically broken Greece up until he makes it. You know, in the NBA, and in and, and and I think it's also interesting how. In the book you talk about, he grew up in this kind of far right Greece and, he, you know, his rise in the NBA is really mostly during the Trump era. So I, I kind of wanted to start there. Like you talk about in, in the book about him growing up it, it, with this anti-immigration stuff and kind of like his identity crisis. Like what about that did you find most interesting when you were when you were writing it? Well, I think first off that that part of his life is often not talked about. You know, it's his story because it's so amazing and surreal and, you know, insane. It's framed as a fairy tale. And so I think people don't really talk about that side and they're not able to put both sides at one time. For example, like there were many white Greeks that helped him out and were really kind to him, but there was also so much racism that he faced. And so, you know, for me to have the full complete picture of him in this biography, like you have to have both. Um, the group that was around that I think you're alluding to is called Golden Dawn. And they are this neo-Nazi, very horrible, violent um, party that actually won many seats in parliament. So it wasn't just, you know, um, a mob or a hate group. It was people that were actually in government. Um, and they just beat up in streets. They would terrorize them. So um, just sorry, my voice is, <laughs> we're recording the audio book <laughs> and my, my voice is just going, just going. No, you're going to no, be, you're going to be Doc Rivers I, by the end. I apologize. <laughs> oh my God. I know. <laughs> I'm feeling very. <laughs> you're good. No, you're feeling totally it, guys. No like I need some, I need some tea. Um, <laughs> chamomile, anyways, chamomile. As, as soon as you said Doc Rivers, I'm like, ch- now I feel the sandpaper. Like, <laughs> you feel the me. horse. Um, but <laughs> Um, anyways, sorry. Um, so, you know, he would experience a lot of racism when he would be in road games. And, um, it was just so awful because he was not able to enjoy the things that other people were able to enjoy, like having a passport, um, opening a bank account, feeling safe, um, not, you know, he had to worry about whether his parents would get hurt or not. So I think all of these things really made him, you know, into who he is as well. Like, I, I and I, how does, I, I don't know if you know this, but how, how does he feel about like, you know, being called like the Greek freak? Because I know that you talk about like, he does have an identity crisis as, you know, like, you know, you mean Greek or Nigerian or any of that. Like how, I imagine that that's difficult for him and he's marketed as, as Greek, right? I, I think that's probably more palatable to a, mostly a white customer base in America. Like how, how does he like deal with that in that kind of space with his identity? And, and, and just to follow up on that kind of what is his relationship today still with, with Greece? I mean, I, I know he goes back there in the off season and all that, but if you can kind of get into that a little bit too. Yeah. So, okay. So first thing is that, you know, the, the book really charts his, his, um, the, the way his thought process really, I guess, grown or changed about this. So he's always been proud to be all Greek and Nigerian, but, um, because he spent obviously his life in Greece and he, you know, went to Greek churches, Greek schools, he felt unequivocally Greek. Um, but the Greek, um, parliament basically like dragged his feet on giving him citizenship. So, you know, at first that was really just awful to go through is that they almost didn't give him citizenship. The only reason they gave him citizenship is because he was about to go to the NBA. So I think the first thing is, yeah, he noticed the hypocrisy in that, that they only wanted to treat him as a Greek citizen because he was about to be, you know, drafted. Um, and then as he gets older, he, um, he really embraces and leans into this Greek freak name and he likes it. Um, Buck Stafford, I talk about how Buck Staffers were afraid to call him that because they weren't sure if it was like offensive and, but he, you know, he liked it. Um, if you fast forward to the 2015 game um, in Africa 
where they, you can put the, it was Team War versus Team USA, you could put your different uh, flags on your jersey. Um, so, for example, like Boris Dio put the Senegalese and the French flags for his two identities. But, you know, Dio told me he remembers that Giannis only wanted his Greek flag on there. And so, you know, I guess at that point in time, he was more so, you know, really just focused on that. Um, as time wore on and the racism revealed itself in Greece, even when he became a star, he had murals of him desecrated. He had um, a, a court, his court that he plays on. It had swastikas on there and awful symbols. Um, it became clear that no matter how far he ascended and how much Greeks love him, that he was still a target of racism. So he feels tremendous pride, of course, being Nigerian and the connection that he has there. And, you know, he grew up um, being able to understand parts of like Igbo and Yoruba, his, his parents' his tongues. But, you know, for him, Greek was what he knew. He knew the language. He knew all of those things. So you still see him contending with that. I think he's a bit more vocal in the about race and things like that as time has worn on. But you know, he really hasn't said a whole lot about it. Um, so, yeah, I think it's it's really interesting. Um, and the book really contends with that, the stuff he went through growing up and the, and the way that he looks at it now. Mirren, uh, uh, sorry, G. Again, no, 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 no. just uh, everyone, please pre-order the book, Giannis, an improbable uh, rise of an NBA MVP. Um, I wanted to ask you, and correct me if I'm wrong here. I read that you interviewed 220 people for this book. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Is that an accurate I number? I did. That's a lot of accurate, people. As accurate okay. as My follow-up. So how? I mean, how, like, how? And what was hard? <laughs> Has Giannis made that many free throws this postseason? <laughs> Hold on. I want to see if, if Giannis has hit. As many free throws as Mirren interviewed people. Mirren, go. I'll, I'll, I'll come back with the answer. I'm, I'm looking at you. Up. Tee that up. I'll tee Mirren, that up. Mirren, Mirren goes. Yeah. What is what okay. is going on there? I okay. If there was a time to be locked in your apartment, calling 221 people, <laughs> many of them Greek. <laughs> it is. It is during coronavirus. <laughs> so. I would just wake up every day and start my interviews at like 6 a.m. because at Greek time, it was nighttime. And so I would just call and then I would say, who else did he know? Like, who was another person that you can introduce me to? And then one turned into three and three turned into, you know, it, for, for the 221 I got, I probably reached out to maybe 330. I got turned down a lot. But um you know what? I almost did more than 221, but I was on a really, really strict deadline. So normally books have two years to do, and I had one year. So it's essentially the pandemic is Giannis's book. And so it was just, again, I was like trapped. I was trapped here. And I was like, okay, I'm not seeing any humans. I'm not talking to people. I'm literally not going anywhere, but I'm going to talk to all the Greeks. And that is what happened during my pandemic. So you started so. working on the book before coronavirus started correct it was like i would okay it's complicated i started working on it probably like a week or two which is when i went to milwaukee like coronavirus was not uh, it was like mid to late february and coronavirus was like here but it wasn't like i never thought anything would shut down like we weren't there yet as a country and i hadn't signed the contract yet um, I wouldn't sign it until like, yeah, when the pandemic, like mid-March, mid to late March, um, or like April, actually. Um, but I was so nervous because it was my first book. Right. <laughs> and I was like, I don't care. I just have to go to Milwaukee. I'm going to start. I guess I'll sign it when they sign it. You know, I guess it's going to take a while. You know, I don't know how this works. Like, I'm a rookie. Like, let me just go to Milwaukee. So I started working on it, like, literally right before the pandemic. And then it was due March 1st, 2021. Oh, my God. So, and then all that I time, know. 221 and I, interviews. I have to ask. Giannis has had 299 two free throws in his career in the playoffs. Wow. Okay. So, it's so we're, we're, I mean, Mirren's right there. I mean, if you, if you, a few more. Of the 221, <laughs> and it's okay because nobody's listening. It's just, it's a private conversation. Private, just it's private. It's private. Blue Wire's not, <laughs> Blue, Blue Wire's not listening. Of the 221, 
where, when did you say to yourself, like, um, what the hell am I doing? I'm not going to use this interview. This is going nowhere. This, <laughs> there's, there's <laughs> nothing, there's nothing here for me. Oh God. You know, I'm trying to think, <laughs> you know, you know what? I was, <laughs> I was a little disappointed with the Jabari Parker interview. Really? I wanted it to be, yeah, I wanted it to be a little more substantive, but it was before the game. And you know, like, I, if you're yeah. talking to someone before the game, <laughs> they don't want to talk to you. You're, you're, you're yeah. like the worst. You're like the worst human they've ever seen. So I don't blame him for being like, what is this girl? I, I, I played with Giannis like 20 years ago. You know, like, I don't, I don't blame him, but it was not my fave. So there's only one Jabari quote in there. Um, and you detail a kind of an interesting relationship between Jabari and, and Giannis in the book, correct? There was, there was a little yeah. bit of internal struggle there when, uh, when Jabari first got there. Yeah, I mean, you have to remember when Jabari got drafted, Jabari was supposed to be like the future of the Bucks. Like Giannis was really a big part of that future, but it wasn't like, oh, Giannis is the guy and Jabari is going to be the sidekick. It was kind of the other way around. And Giannis, you know, who had just endured the awful 15 win rookie season, he worked his ass off. He got so much better. He was like, no, this is my team. Like, I'm going to show that I'm the guy. Um, and so I think that when they got there, they were just so competitive with each other, you know, they each wanted to prove themselves and they became friendly and they eventually like really became good friends. But yeah, at first it was like so competitive because Giannis wanted to prove that like he had put in the work and he wanted to set himself up to be that leader. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Let's talk a little bit about the Heat series in the bubble. Because, you know, at the time, listen, I'm a, I was a Salty Heat fan. I was like, these people, this is their damn Super Bowl. Look at look at look at little Milton all happy. Look at Giannis all happy. Oh, they beat they beat the big bad heat. They beat Jimmy Butler on one ankle. Bam with half a shoulder. Oh, you must Tyler with his alligator. You must be proud of yourselves. But you know, through two through, alligator, two alligator arms, okay. excuse me. Through the pe- Aaron, through the pettiness. <laughs> I <laughs> through the pettiness, I, you know, as an objective person covering the NBA, I felt that it was a little bit of an exorcism for them particularly for Giannis because he played so well against heat that series, I think on both ends, you know, and, and they didn't even have to dip too deep into the bag of tricks of the season, you know, well documented Giannis as a roller, the season has been incredible. They didn't even have to do that so much. He just straight up bullied them, but the wall did not work. Every time he turned the corner on any pick and roll, he saw a reason and he laughed because he's like, I'm going to bowl this dude over. And you know, it just, it, it really, I don't know. I, I, to me, it felt like an exorcism for them, and now they're in the finals, right? And and, and without Giannis, and I'm, I'm I think it looks okay for Game One. I'm, I'm reading things, so you know, hopefully he's able to go. But like, I feel like that is a a big jumping off point, right, for, for him. Like that, what happened in that series? It looked like it was all over in Milwaukee. It looked done. It looked like they were cooked. They were literally the laughing stocks of the league. Because it's not like the Heat were some juggernaut, right? It was a team that it's like. I mean, I mean, nobody really believed in them. They called them bubble frauds the entire season. And then, you know, even all during the regular season, it's not like they got a lot of respect. So I kind of feel like that was a huge turning point for Giannis. And then he decides to stay. That was all interesting to me. 
And I'm wondering if you can maybe contextualize that into the finals run right now. Yeah, I mean, I think like, yes, the series you're mentioning is like a very important part, but I think it they've just had this history of just coming up short, coming up short, coming up short. And it just seems to happen all the time with the Bucks, you know? And um, one of the things I enjoyed with the book was getting into the history of like, the miserable 90s when they never won and the amazing 2001 run. And so, you know, you fast forward all the way to the series that you're talking about. It's like, it's really frustrating when you're getting like really, really close and you're just doesn't work uh, getting really close. And now that there's all this pressure on him because he got these MVP awards, it was like, okay, but why aren't you winning? So I think it's, there's a lot of pressure on him and on the bucks, you know, and, um, as far as like what's happening now, I mean, I don't know about you guys, but like I am exhausted with the emotional arc of the, <laughs> of you the know, box. it went from like Giannis. <laughs> yeah, it's like Giannis is, they, everyone was like, just, I've never seen that type of slander with Giannis. It was just like, he is like the worst. I mean, I've just never seen it that bad. And then it goes from like, he showed up to like, they win it all. I mean, it's crazy because the Bucks literally went from like 15 wins his rookie season to like they might actually literally win the title. Like it's like, kind of insane. The two big series losses are to Toronto in the conference finals to the eventual champions and to the Heat, which right. I mean, Marin, I mean, if Bam and Goran right. don't go down, I mean, that series went six without them, right? Like, I don't know right. what uh, we can't say for sure right. what happens, right? And so it's not like they lost to, you know, these these teams that flamed out, right? They and and now, you know, they vanquished Kevin Durant and what was uh I mean quite the spectacle, right, of of maybe the greatest score we've ever seen and then, you know, an upstart Atlanta team. Woo! Um oof, what a, I mean I was dying. Like I said it's a, it's exhaust inches. Inches <laughs> from having a completely different was, discussion right now. <laughs> I was so stressed. I was just like <laughs> Well, because, Merit, I imagine you're rooting for the Bucks. I mean, you're trying to sell a book, right? So, like, you're just like, I need the I mean, content. Not only that, how, how can you not, after spending so much time writing about Giannis, how could you, Merit, not have a personal, you know, rooting interest in just him succeeding this year? I literally have to admit it because, you know, as you guys know, I'm, like, such a nerd and such a journalism you know, stickler for the rules and we can't root. And, you know, I'm like, really just, I don't root. I'm not a fan, you know, all that. But then, then I wrote a book and I was like, oh my God, books don't sell themselves. And so when <laughs> Kevin Durant's foot was on that line, I exploded. <laughs> you saw the dollar so, signs flying out of your pocket. Maren, I'm the same. Listen, uh, people, I'm a big oh e fan. I Basketball was my first love. Dwayne Wade was the first athlete I ever loved and changed my life. You think I cared more about the heat beat content? I was like, these these people better not lose. They're costing us a lot of money. I have a staff to pay. I mean, come on, guys. Like, I get it. It's listen. It's it's tough and it's exhausting. And it's I mean, listen. They're they're in the finals, and he, you know, I know that he's questionable with an injury, and hopefully he'll be able to go and he'll be able to be some sort of facsimile of himself. Because I mean, if he can go, I mean, Moose especially like. Baron, if he can't go, it's not like he's a shooter, right? He can't just like space him out and you know run little fancy you know pin downs and like no, like if he's not one hundred percent, like if he doesn't have that athleticism and, and that game. strength, right? Yeah. Like I, I don't, I don't know what, I don't know what they're gonna do. Yes, I know right. it is a, it's a completely different game. I mean, I keep focusing on like Chris and Drew. Like Chris obviously like has shown up like incredible, like he's amazing. But, and I keep coming back to Drew, like he's had his moments, but then there's other times. I just don't understand why the Bucks so many threes sometimes, but you know, like the three that's like, you know, right 10 seconds into the shot clock, like just super fast. It's they just, do it, it a lot. I feel like they're launching. Yeah. Well, Giannis and was I'm, doing and I'm it just a ton. I was like, I know. Giannis was and bombs just, like, away, can, dude. Can he can thought he was just, Tyler Hero. We, can we just, <laughs> I knew you'd like that one. That is... Um, but yeah, I'm just like, can we just pass the ball? Like, can we just, can we just swing the ball, please? I just, 
Can we can we run a set? Can we run some offense? A little Spain pick and roll? Can we do something? Um, and it's Please. funny, Aaron, because you know you you're at the you're at the ringer who you know invented being just a a fan and media, right? You know, Bill Simmons literally wrote the book on that. <laughs> who quite literally wrote the book on that? I know it's really not me. Like I, this is not me. Like I. You know, when I was growing up, I was the girl with the basketball, like at school every day from like, you know, fifth grade all the way till senior year of high school. Like I was just like that girl. I never dressed up. I was like baller Mirren and baller with the Lakers lost. <laughs> yeah, no, she, you know, right. like you play point guard, right, Mirren? I played point yeah, guard. She's got some handles. Is and- your handle better than PJ Tucker's? <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Ooh, probably. Probably. Stop yeah. it. I'm not I'm no, not hey, gonna start. It's okay. Sorry, I'm, anyway, I'm sorry. not I'm answering sorry. this. I'll question. Answer for you. It's fine. I'm sorry, the NBA I'm not, the NBA Twitter came out of me. I'm sorry. I'm a I'm <laughs> I'm completely washed up and do not want to see what I look like on a basketball court now. However, at the time I loved the Lakers and I would be sad if they lost. So fast forward all these years later, it is so strange to like actually feel invested. Um because you know, to do my job, like I can't be, you know, like I you know, and I, I just doesn't hit me the same. I don't, I don't know. I think it's, I really enjoy getting to know the players. I really love learning about what makes them human, you know, and getting into those stories. But when I go to like, like actually engage and like root for a team, it's just not there anymore, except for this one year with the Bucks. That's it. <laughs> uh, that, that scares me. I I never, I know it's, it's so fun. I never want to lose that. I hope I don't. Uh, I you know the the, the yeah. couple of times I've I've gone to cover games in person I really I was like I gotta behave I gotta behave I don't want EPR to get mad at me I'm sitting next to Cooper Moorhead I'm like I can't, I can't see my fist bump uh so you know I I get it I don't I don't, don't want to ever <laughs> I don't want to ever lose that well I mean, I'm I'm also like a low key I'm like a secret Raptors fan so I've gone to do Heat Raptors no games. it's not a secret it's, a it's secret. not a it's secret a, he is a Raptors Kyle fan. you just he is a Raptors fan. You just outed yourself. No, everybody knows. Everybody it's knows. not a secret. Here. When the when the secret. Heat were not okay, in the playoffs and the Raptors okay. made a finals run, I made this podcast, my own personal Raptors podcast, and everyone got really mad at me. No, not to your <laughs> I had Raptor guests like every week. And then I, at one point, we're like, wow. people were like, wait, what are we doing? And I'm like, mm, nothing. No, no. It, took, it took them like months to notice. Um, <laughs> I, I think this finals is interesting for a couple of reasons, Mir, because you have Giannis and, and CP3 both like, kind of have legacy finals here, right? Like, obviously, you know, CP, the history is, you know, we all know it. And Giannis winning really validates, you know, kind of, a, like, not just his life, and, and and but just, like, from a basketball standpoint, kind of the way that they built the team, it was, like, very traditional. I mean, even the way they play, they play with the traditional drop big, and they, like, I mean, well, I, I know they switched a lot against Atlanta in the back half of the series, but you know, a traditional drop big. They play a little bit old school. They like to play big. They 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 start Lopez and Giannis, or sometimes you know they play like really big front courts. Uh, like drafted a lot bunch of guys, traded for the quote unquote last piece and Drew Holiday. Giannis stayed in the, the city that drafted him, and I know that you know how much he really likes Milwaukee, right? Which is odd because usually stars you know of his magnitude want to leave the quote unquote small market and they want to go to a New York, a Miami, a Los Angeles, or Chicago. So I, I don't know. Is that something that, that you keep in mind when, you know, as because I that to me is like the most interesting part, like these two guys, Chris and Giannis and like a lot of legacies on the line for them. And I'm not the legacy guy, but you just can't help but think about it. Yeah, I mean, um, one of the parts of the book that I really enjoyed researching was the legacy left behind Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. And I kind of compared him and Giannis a bit. Obviously, they're very different players, you know, not saying they're alike at all. Um, And they're very different in demeanor. You know, Kareem wanted to leave for a big city. Giannis wanted to stay for a a smaller, quieter city. And um, but what they represent to Milwaukee is hope Um, because Milwaukee is you know, a franchise that from the beginning of its inception said basketball can't work in Milwaukee. And, you know, for the last time for them to have won that title in 71 with Kareem and then to have him leave was so traumatic. And so, 
um, it just, it set off. I mean, I know there were some really amazing teams in the eighties with the bucks, you know, with Sidney Moncrief and like Paul Pressey and, you know, Don Nelson coaching, but it was like straight up misery for most of the time after that. And so then Giannis comes along and he's this like very sweet, adorable, but yet morphs into this like fierce savior that gives them a chance to finally win. And so I just love looking at him and Kareem because it's like, finally, like the generational player stays. And if they win, it cements that decades old wound left by Kareem. Um, You know, with Chris, like it's funny because I was in college and I was an intern for the Clippers when Chris went to the Clippers. And I remember being in that locker room feeling like a lowly intern, but also just, just feeling like, um, just, wow, this is such an exciting environment. You know, everyone is so excited for the Clippers and, you know, growing up as, as an LA fan, like I had never seen that. So I felt really bad for Chris as his career went on because I was just like, he really wants to win. And I hope he finally gets into a situation that works, you know? And so I think it's really cool that he has found this with the Suns and Coach Monty, and how it's come full circle. I think there's a lot of wonderful stories with these finals. And I think it's so weird that people are like complaining that this is a quote, boring series or boring teams. You know, there's there's stories everywhere. You just have to find them. And they're there. Well, I mean, the, uh, the funny part about that is that like, I mean, last season, the finals was Miami and Los Angeles and the ratings were bad, right? Those are glamour markets. I mean, Miami on yeah. the... The Heat and right. Lakers, right? And and not only Heat and Lakers, you have the LeBron playing against his former team subplot. You have Jimmy Butler having the run of his life. And I've said this, Miran, a bunch on this podcast, one of the snapshot moments of that run. And maybe this post-LeBron era of basketball, you know, outside of, of the Dwayne Wade last dance, uh, which is like one of the greatest things ever. But like, you know, in, in that post-era with Jimmy, it's like him scoring over the reigning defensive player of the year and, and two-time MVP and screaming out into the void that is the bubble, yelling, he can't effing guard me. To Giannis, that's Jimmy doing that. And, he, and Giannis couldn't, right? And it's that, that kind of run that, that the Heat had, <laughs> which you know, obviously sent Milwaukee <laughs> spiral and panic, but like that run to play LeBron <laughs> and the Lakers to then have like this incredible game five and game six, uh, uh, game four, game five against LeBron were like, Arguably the greatest game played in a Heat uniform, like what Jimmy did, right? And and that didn't even do well with the glamour markets. And you have now, you know, a damn two-time MVP and Chris Paul, which maybe the entire basketball world is rooting for. I haven't seen a single person root against Chris Paul. Maybe me, but that's beside the point. No, yeah, I was, I was about to, I was about to chime in there. I'm pretty sure you're rooting against. Can I defend my take? Can I defend the take? No, no, you can't. Can I please, (laughs) Mirren? So, my thing with CP is that I love, I love CP. It's my show. I'm gonna defend. I love CP. I think he's great. I've been a fan of him forever. I would love for him to win a ring. I don't like the coverage on him right now, where everyone is like. Chris Paul is the only reason that these guys are winning. Look how he taught Devin Booker and DeAndre and how to win. And it's just this weird, like, you know, I I think I I forgot who said it. Somebody on a podcast was like, you know, it's like he's the world's greatest stepfather. Right. And it's like, oh, my God, Devin Booker is a good (laughs) Devin Booker. Somebody. No, I forgot what podcast said it. I was listening. I was I might have been something on the athletic. I don't remember. And maybe was it Marcus Thompson? It might have been Marcus Thompson. Um, and it's just weird. I don't know. I like, I love CP, but like, we don't want, I feel the media goes overboard sometimes when like they get behind a guy and I'm like, I don't know. I'm a little sick of it. I'm like, come on guys. Like let's Devin's really good. So is Deandre. Chris is good. We don't have to do this. That's my thing. Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, I always wonder how storylines get started again. Like we mentioned, like how did LaMelo just get labeled? totally mean and arrogant like i don't know how these things just start. that has to be lavar though you know like... i i get that but 12 I, years maybe old it... on a reality show like <laughs> maybe you put yeah. reality cameras in front of any 12 year old you're not gonna there's not much there yeah i mean poor example on my part but you know what i'm oh, yeah. saying like i just i don't i don't understand how these you know they start and they get a life on their own it's funny when i was profiling andre drummond um, I was like another G favorite. Obligate. I was like, 
I was just like obligatory question about penguins, LOL. And I like made fun of it because it's turned into a meme, you know? And he was like, I have no idea how the penguin thing like really took off. And again, it's like these, I just don't know how they get started. I, I don't know. He said he was asked about it one time and then it became this huge thing, but he doesn't, it's not, you know, his identity. Anyway, maybe another <laughs> example, but again, I just, yeah, I don't know how these things start. <laughs> I love the like anatomy of a meme or like a meme origin. And then I love people arguing about where the meme came. Oh, I came right. up with it. And it's, yeah, it's, no, it's, 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 it's terrific. Um, Mirren. Thank you so much for joining us, for making the time for our silliness Hold today. On. Before, before she gets out of here, we I got to have her plug the book. We, I got to plug the book, but I got two more questions for her. First okay. of all, go pre-order Giannis, The Improbable Rise of an NBA MVP. It's on Amazon. pre-ordered Oh, mine. it's easy. August 10th, it releases. One, one button, click, purchase. Kindle hardcover over. audio CD? Listen. Yes, and the audio CE mm-hmm. she's recording right now. You can now, go for a run awesome. and listen to Mira and tell you about Giannis's life. I mean, what's what's it? You don't even have to read. <laughs> it's so easy. I've I've sacrificed my vocal. Look, cords she's gonna be Doc guys. Rivers. She's gonna be like Doc, so you can just listen. It's that easy, and it's on Amazon. So all your credit card information is already there. You don't. I hate having to input it. It's yeah. there. You just click. Perfect, G. Thank you. Marin, <laughs> my I got two more questions for you before we let you go. One, I'm curious. While you were writing this book, did you think Giannis was going to leave? Were you were you expecting That's him to resign? Question. What was your? I feel like you probably had more insight than anybody else. I mean, I wish to God that I did have more insight than anybody else, but. I really thought it was going to go either way. Like I, you know, hearing things from like, you know, he could totally leave and he could stay. It it was like so up in the air. But the funniest thing was that I announced my pre-order 10 minutes before he announced that he was staying and everyone thought that I like knew. And I was like, no, I didn't know. (laughs) I I totally knew. I let Woj have that one. And I was like, oh my God. I was like, oh my God, I'm not mad at it. But I was just like, oh my God, I have no idea. <laughs> but but you weren't at all surprised that he extended. Like, did you feel that he was, that he wanted to stay? Like he really- People in Miami really thought that that might happen. Like and, we, thought, we thought he had a- No, and like people really- in the organization legitimately thought, and, and it's kind of ironic that we're doing this because they had a chance for CP3 and they opted not to in part because they right. had- they felt that they that that might be a thing, and and they don't they don't do things on a whim. I was kind of, I mean, so Bam's agent is the same as Giannis's agent, and so I was also like wondering, like, okay, how how tight are they, and like what's going on? But then I was like, I don't think Giannis would like a city like Miami, right? Like, I just didn't see that. But then once I saw that, like, his mom really wanted to stay in Milwaukee and that was important to him. I was like, okay, this makes total sense. Like, I'm not surprised, you know? And, um, and at the time, you know, his brother was going to high school there. And so it just, it made sense, you know? And then, you know, I don't know when it happened. I was like, okay, of course he stayed. But to be honest, like, I really thought it could have gone either way. Did you, uh, did you interview Bam at all uh, for this book? No, but I, no, but I, but But you did interview Tyler. Yes. Yes. But I, I was going to say the first, one of the first books that I ever pitched was, uh, on the Miami big three. Cause I thought that would make such a big, such a good book, you know, with like, what happened to that? (laughs) When you want to schedule the interview, I'm available Monday, Wednesday, (laughs) Thursdays. It was just, well, it was just like, okay, like, but who are you? You know, why do you want, like, have you ever covered that? You know, this is kind of like. Well, what about them? It is just it just kind of like, you're 23. Let's go there. Like, what about them is so interesting to you? Because, like, they're the most interesting thing that's ever happened in the city sports-wise. Uh, easily. And, no, and, and not, I mean, that it can't be easy because Dan Marino was here and also, you know, the bad no, boy no, hurricanes. No, but it is. It but is it is. Easily. It's like, yeah. and anybody will right. say it. Right. Yeah, no, I, I mean, the first thing you look at when you want to do a book is personalities. And I've always been like wondering, like, 
LeBron, Bosch, Wade, how do those three, you know, and then the Pat Riley thing. And I was just like, oh my God, Miami, like there's going to be tons of color. Like it's going to be so vibrant. I was picturing like, you know, capturing like nightlife. <laughs> and then the publisher was like, who are you? And so it didn't, <laughs> didn't happen. I hope you can do that. That'd be fun. Those, those teams, listen, between. Maybe. Battier, no, and there's, Ray Allen. And there's still so many untold. For as James much Jones. as we know about that era, there's yeah. still so many untold right. stories that are just, we're right. all itching to hear. Somebody has to right. do it. Either well, a documentary or a book or both. Yeah, that'd be, that'd be really fun. Mirren, on your way out, tell people why they should get this book. And maybe, you know, I, th- I feel like this is classic question for somebody that wrote a book. What was something that you had to leave on the cutting room floor? I feel like that is an obligatory book book tour question. Yes. Oh my gosh. You know, I gotta I gotta prepare for the book tour better. I gotta have this one ready in, in the cut. Um think of this as your practice. I what is <laughs> I know I'm failing miserably. No, it's okay. just the three of us. Um, it's just the three, it's just three of us, yeah. yeah. <laughs> private conversation. You know, there was <laughs> There was so much from childhood that had to get cut because I was like, the child, we can't be on page 300 and just have him be 17 years old. You know, like there was just so much cut from childhood because it was so compelling and so interesting. And there were a couple of facts that I couldn't corroborate, which really sucked because they were very unknown. Um, So that sucked. But I think... um, I mean, it's a substantial book, you know, a lot was kept. I was surprised. I thought they were going to cut it in half. Um, <laughs> so it's a, you know, it's a pretty substantial book. <laughs> but, um, you know, the writer perpetually in fear of getting cut. Like, that's just, we never lose this PTSD. Um, okay, why should people buy the book? Um, because, why? Why? Because you want to yeah. help me afford a nightlife yeah. in Los Angeles. Yeah. No. Mm-hmm. Um, you want to help me? Guys. Um, not so bad. Um, rent's expensive. Yeah, I heard Come gas on. is four seventy nine um, in LA, according to the Kim Kardashian picture. This is we got to help her out. Living in an expensive place. Yeah. Got to help her out. This is really hard. Um, I think, <laughs> I think because you know most sports biographies are, you know, written after someone's career, right? Like they they kind of have their full arc of a career. Um, like the definitive LeBron biography will come out in a decade, you know, like it's, it takes a really long time for these things to be made, but this is one of the few sports books there that was made during someone's prime, trying to catch them on the rise as they are rising. And I think that creates an interesting opportunity to like examine someone in real time versus like going back and observing them when it's all said and done. So um, I hope people find that interesting. We love it. Absolutely. Uh, buy it. Giannis, the improbable rise of an NBA MVP uh, on Amazon. Pre-order, right pre-order. Now. Go get it. Check our Twitter page. I'm going to retweet it as well. We're going to tweet out the, the link for the pre-order as well as a couple of the articles that we discussed here. I definitely want to tweet out the LaMelo one because I think everyone should read that. Uh, it's still to this day. I, I, I love that piece. And the Mamba Sita one too. Mirren, you made me ball with that one. I can't, I can't reread it. But but it, it touched me so much. I think your work is just incredible. Oh, thank you so much. Like, I just really appreciate it. Just so kind. Thank you. Mirren, thank you for joining us. And, and thank you for writing so wonderfully about the athletes that we love and that, you know, we we sports is really great. Sports is really wonderful. And, and I think kind of the, the what you do is important because it makes it kind of highlights these effervescent personalities that really create the sum of what we watch the games are fun but it's the people that play them right so that's why we care it's it's these stories and i've I've always said that it's like i i'm not here if Dwayne wade is not a thing and i don't you know fall in love with Dwayne the person right and and everything and all that so thank you so much for being so incredibly generous with your time uh please guys go check out the book i want to remind everybody uh, throughout the week, we're going to have our hangover time post-game show after game, uh, I believe, game one and game two this week. So Tuesday, Thursday, uh, post-game. Stay, stay up late and drink. Stay up late. Please. Alf is going to be hosting. Moose will be on. Tiff, Siobhan, the whole crew. 
We have an, an episode of Miami Heat Beat on Wednesday. We're going to have some of our friends from the Dishes and Dime podcast. We're going to get into some of the news that's been going on over at ESPN. And, and, and we want to get the best people that we know to kind of break that down with us. Uh, I want to thank everybody for what we did during Pride Month. We raised over $6,000. Uh, and that's not even counting the, 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 the t-shirt money that we're still counting. We're going to donate all that to the One Pulse Foundation and Pride for Youth. So thank you guys, our listeners. You have been amazing to us throughout this year, and we're going to finish out strong. Uh, we thank our listeners. We thank Mira and Moose. Ah, whatever. You're fine. Uh, check us out, Hangover <laughs> Time, and uh, we'll, we'll keep you updated on our Twitter page. <laughs> at M-I-A Heapy. You can follow me. <laughs> at GNavis103. Moose, where can people follow you on Twitter? Uh, at Alex Moosebye. It's it's super easy. Sound it out. Mirren, uh, Mirren, what, 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 is, what is your Twitter handle? Moose has checked out. I feel you. <laughs> I was gonna say I should I just tell mine I, I feel you M I R I N F A T R. Thank you again right, guys, for having me. Mirren, thank you so so much. Catch y'all on Hangover Time. Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around—a watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, movement has something she'll love. And right now, you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during Movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com.